Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the latest edition of CouncilCast, the official podcast of the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. I'm Michael Koenig, former Capitol Hill staffer and digital director here at the Council. Uh, today, we are joined again by our esteemed government affairs team, and we're going to take you around the horn to talk about what's going on in D.C. and how it might impact your business. Um, so seated appropriately to my left this time, we have... Uh, Joel Coppert. I'm vice president of government affairs at the Council, and to my left... <laughs> You never know what's up, down, left, or right you go anymore. Far enough right, you come yeah. left, yeah. Joel Wood, I'm Senior Vice President of Government Affairs, and Blair Bartlett, I'm Director of Government Affairs. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us, guys. Um, there is a lot that has happened since the last time we spoke, uh, and you know, it's rare to see anybody in their 40s retire in D.C., and it's especially rare to see it when it's the Speaker of the House. Um, so, Joel, I know you have some thoughts. I'll kick it right to you. Well, my first thought when you put it that way is that Republicans uh, who have other lives, you know, do tend to move on to them as opposed to <laughs> Democrats. Uh, my, my, my mind went to the same so there, place. You know, there are implications for Speaker Ryan uh, for our members uh, uh, stepping down. I mean, first of all, I regard him as a good friend. He spoke at our legislative summit. He's been enormously responsive on a lot of things. And to the extent that many of our member firms are benefiting from tax reform and we're in purgatory um, on the ta- pass-through stuff, but we'll talk about that in a second. He's been, um, you know, a, a, a terrific friend to the council and we will miss him. Uh, that said, um, the number one congressional leader who supported elimination of the employer exclusion from taxation for group health benefits was Paul Ryan. And so we talk about that a lot, but that is the existential threat to much of our member firm's business. And so uh, I think that that takes a little bit of the wind out of the sails of those who want to drive to the purest consumer uh, uh, vision of healthcare. And so that, you know, I hate to use the word silver lining on anything, but uh, it's very difficult to see how it's all going to play out. I think ultimately if uh, the president uh, says that uh, Leader McCarthy is going to be his man, uh, uh, Steve Scalise has indicated that he will be on the team and his first job is to support him. We regard ourselves as good friends of, of, of both, of Steve Scalise, of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, it'll be very interesting and also it has implications, um, you know, who knows, we may not be talking about the next speaker uh, being uh, a Republican, right, Joel? Yeah, before we move on, there's buzz in Democrat circles that the second you resign in a position like that, you're automatically a lame duck. We still have almost a year left of this Congress ahead of us with a lot of must-pass legislation, including you know, our own parochial flood insurance program, but there's spending bills, there's the National Defense Authori- Authorization Act. Do you think he is a lame duck now, now that he's announced his retirement? I've is heard it. it. I've been with several members, including some that are, you know, some of the Freedom Caucus types obviously feel that way. Um, you know, there's something to be said that, you know, from the fundraising perspective, you know, with Republicans, um, you know, with the wind in their faces um, and the expectation that at least $100 million needs to be raised by the Speaker's super PAC, uh, you know, you can make that argument um, and that may well happen. But, uh, you know, I take the speaker at his word that he's intended to ride out this and that uh, there's a lot that he can do to compensate in the meantime politically. But damn, it's a tough, tough environment for Republicans out there. We've got an enthusiasm gap of about 12 points. Uh, I'm hopeful uh, as a Republican myself that 
we bottomed out here in April as opposed to bottoming out in October. Yeah, Democrats are elated with 40, is it 40 Republican retirements now? Uh, they only need, you know, Democrats only need 23 seats to take back the House of Representatives with 40 Republicans retiring, 19 Republican districts voted for Hillary Clinton. The map's really clear. The amount of women that have, that are running in primaries is through the roof. The amount of Democrats, competitive Democratic primaries is upside down. The DCCC all of a sudden finds himself in an awkward position of not trying to get involved in some of these races because they're so intense with a lot of great candidates running. But yeah, Democrats are extremely enthusiastic about November. Uh, We we want you to be very cocky, Joel. (laughs) (laughs) Just just the facts. Well, before we get to November, is there even worth mentioning the House Freedom Caucus, Jim Jordan talking about potentially challenging Kevin McCarthy? Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan, sorry, from Ohio. Is there any impact there? Um, My belief is that uh, Jim Jordan is not going to win a leadership position. That's just my view. Uh, let me mention, though, the, the primary legacy for Speaker Ryan, obviously, is the tax bill. Uh, and for our C corporations, that, for the most part, was a win. For some of them, a big, big win. Uh, for some many of the private equity-fueled uh, uh, firms in the brokerage space, it uh, was a, maybe a little bit of a net negative, but it wasn't nearly as bad as uh, on the debt financing uh, provisions as, as we thought uh, that it might be. Uh, but most importantly, two-thirds of our member firms are structured as pass-throughs, as LLCs or S-corporations, partnerships. And we have been in um, a state of flux as to whether or not the provisions ultimately for creating a special 20% five-year um, favorable tax rate, which could be dramatically impactful to many of our member firms, uh, as to whether or not that's going to apply, based on all the provisions that giveth and then taketh away, juxtaposed on top of, top of the tax code. We've had initial good meetings with Treasury. We are filing this week formal uh, comments with the Treasury Department. We're talking to a lot of members about what their intent is. I'm going to be with a, a major member um, who was engaged on the pass-through issues uh, on the Republican side tonight. Um, and so this, this is something that I think is our biggest issue left uh, in the year. Now, remaining from that, though, I do want to segue really quick and and ask Blair to comment on this because we do have, as Joel mentioned, the one big outstanding thing uh, that Congress is going to need to act on, and this is looking like a cluster right now, is reauthorization of the federal flood insurance program where Chairman Henseling successfully uh, disengaged reauthorization from the uh, omnibus budget resolution. And so we're looking at the prospect of an expiration of the NFIP on July 31st, smack in the middle of hurricane season. So what's going on on that, Blair? So the the House passed its its flood reform and reauthorization bill, and it was pretty much dead on arrival in the Senate. And so the Senate feels that it kind of needs to do its own reform package, but from what I'm hearing is that it's going to be significantly pared down from what the House did. The House was 150 pages. The Senate, you know, we've heard that it's going to be anywhere from 40 to 50 pages and wouldn't be as comprehensive. Um, I think the the issue on the Senate side, the sticking the sticking points are 
quote unquote cherry picking um, and opening it up to the the private market. Um, on the surplus line side um, and the, the perception that there would be adverse selection through price. It, it, it's something that we overcame in the House with, a, over, with a more than 400 votes, but we can't seem to get there on the Senate side. Yeah, something that unanimously passed with bipartisan support on the House side is having problems on the Senate um, with Republicans and Democrats. And another issue is when in the House bill you are opening up the NFIP data and two two private companies and there are data privacy concerns on the senate side and so it's us with with coalition members with insurers with trade associations working with with senate staffers with senators and trying to figure out where what can we do blair is there any conversation on from senate staffers perspective about take up rate i mean we talk <laughs> about this cherry picking issue and i don't I, I i completely understand their concerns but it seems to me Following last year, which you know we experienced more commercial insurance losses in history because of more and more storms that are happening on a greater, happening more more frequently, right? That the lesson learned from 2017 to me is that the insurance, the take-up rate for flood insurance was below 20% mm-hmm. in Florida, in Houston, Puerto Rico, in all of these floor, uh, storm-savaged areas. They ought to be, I think, focused on increasing the take-up rate, and I feel like that would be a roundabout way of addressing their cherry picking concern if we could just increase the policies that are purchased. Is that at all part of the conversation? Not necessarily. It would be great if it was, and it would be great if there was an enforcement mechanism, but then that's when you start, you, you get into a gray area. That's, and well, and you, that's when you've got the, the, the politics of the realtors and the home builders and the banks who don't want to enforce. Uh, yeah, I mean, everybody wants to go to heaven on this and nobody wants to die. It's so, not groundbreaking, right? Enforce current law. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's pivot on that. You mentioned uh, d- data privacy, um, that element of flood insurance reform. I'm just back from the REMS meeting in San Antonio. Uh, and um, the dominant theme there was cyber risks. There were multiple, I think, scores of different meetings, uh, official meetings, breakout sessions, uh, presentations on cyber-related issues, the, you know, the silent cyber risk, and, uh, and especially on data breach notification requirements. We do not have a lot of case law built up on this stuff, and, uh, and we have now the de facto national standard being the New York standard, uh, with the NAIC flailing on their attempts to uh, uh, to have a model law enacted. Uh, you've got all the states but two that have had some sort of a data breach notification um, provision out there. And then you've got uh, the European Union uh, privacy standard set to be uh, enforced at the end of May of this year. Blair, you've been involved in discussions uh, on trying to get a preemptive uh, federal single data breach notification standard, but that seems like many other things to have be a circular firing squad within the insurance industry. Could you just give a brief uh, update on where we are with that? Yeah, so Congressman Blaine Luke DeMeyer um, is working on legislation to for the financial services industry to have a single data breach notification. Um, and there is, in the beginning when we were working on the bill, there was going to be a carve out for insurance because obviously the insurance industry is regulated by the states, not, not the federal government. And we are in the process of firming up that language, working with the trades and the carriers and trying to determine what is, what is going to be helpful in a situation where there is a data breach, um, you know, so we don't have another Equifax. So the, the one 
observation that I have is that like almost everything else, you know, this town is so polluted with polarization right now that it's difficult to see how anything, you see how tiny little provisions in this flood insurance thing uh, that you can get unanimity on in the House of Representatives that can't seem to uh, allow us to move forward there. And so why on something as complex as data breach and cyber uh, insurance do we think that something could get there? What I've heard from congressional staff this week is that uh, they want to be ready to move, that if there's another Equifax type of event, uh, that wherever this bill stands right now and however many disagreements there are, uh, that Congress is going to want to move and move swiftly and potentially in a bipartisan way. We just don't know what that's going to be. But if we have that kind of an inflection point, this could be the case, and so we got, you know, it's the old line we use, you, you know, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, and, and this is going to impact our member firms a lot. Let me finally just pivot to health insurance-related issues. I actually I had one thing quick on GDPR. Um, I'd be remiss if I the didn't European mention. standard. Yeah, we uh, are going to be hosting a webinar. We're about to announce it, I think, later today uh, on May 7th about GDPR, and it's going to be moderated um, by someone from Clements Worldwide. We're going to have folks on the phone from uh, legal experts from BDO and Steptoe. Um, it's probably going to be uh, May 7th at 10 a.m. So if you have any questions about that, uh, feel free to, to go to CIAB.com. Um, look for that on our events calendar uh, very soon. Uh, Vladimir Galalabov is our uh, kind of international contact, and he is the one coordinating the webinar. So if you know Vlad, uh, if you're a member of the International Working Group, feel free to email him with any questions. You got any clients that have any European connection, you got to be informed on this. You've got to have uh, a compliance regime in, in uh, good order. The good news, the bad news on this, the good news is that if you meet that standard of the GDPR, then you're probably good to go underneath every state law that is there because it is a higher standard. Uh, the bad news is that it just is, you know, it's this is a vast unknown in terms of what the compliance burden is going to be. They left a lot of wiggle room in there for what best practices are and to have some exclusions. So this is going to take some time to play out. So back to the final issue, I'll just uh, ask Joel, uh, general state of play on all ACA uh, issues, uh, anything left? Uh, as we approach these, the, this fall's uh, major increases in the exchanges, anything left in terms of the cost-sharing subsidies, the reinsurance you know, payments <coughs> that uh, Congress might do on I think care? any ACA-related legislation is probably going to be put off until the lame duck at, this, at the earliest. I had lunch with Senator Patty Murray last week, and uh, you know <clears throat> we were, of course, very supportive of her market stabilization bill that she was pushing with Senator Lamar Alexander, which would have increased flexibility for thir- state, uh, 1332 waivers, would have codified CSR payments to insurance companies. And it was really just a Band-Aid, a small Band-Aid on you know, a market that's imploding. Uh, but it, they failed to include that in the funding bill. Uh, so it's, at this point, pretty much dead. And there's a lot of disappointment. You know, there was a point not long ago when all 60, de- or I'm sorry, all, every Democrat in the Senate supported the legislation. Uh, they had enough Republicans to get it past the 60-vote threshold. Senator McConnell said he was going to bring it up for a vote. Uh, and for uh, politics completely unrelated, uh, you know, related to abortion rights, uh, it failed. So at this point, it looks like it is not going anywhere. Um, and that's disappointing for all of us. In the meantime, you've got the states, many states that seem to be going in the opposite direction, uh, pushing out, for example, in Idaho. Um, 
and, and trying to get uh, regulatory flexibility to do to, to, not just to move a little bit outside the limits of the guaranteed minimum essential health benefits of the ACA, but to go way outside of it. Uh, we saw this week America's health insurance plans and the blues uh, collectively um, said that uh, you know this is we're going to we're going to see the advent of junk insurance again of mm-hmm. uh, the, the extremely skinny plans that's, that's only going to create much much more adverse selection with the older and sicker and standard plans. Yep, and I think if you step back, we've been talking about this for a while, but if you look at the broader political environment, what's happening in the states, what's happening on the ground politically and what could happen in November, and juxtapose that with what's happening in the markets. You could see a scenario where Democrats could control Congress again and inherit a market that's wildly broken. And you see the far left of the party screaming single payer, single payer in reaction to the Republicans repeal, repeal. Uh, and we've got more than you know half of the House Democrats uh, co-sponsoring a bill to create a single payer program. Now, I don't think it's going anywhere. CBO says that bill's gonna cost $32 trillion. They all know that this is just pure messaging. But it's, it's, you know, it's setting up a broader framework for the Democrats to run on, which is more and more increased government involvement. And that will probably in, evolve into more of a public option type scenario, more Medicare access, uh, Medicaid access. Uh, but either way, it's going to encroach on the employer-sponsored insurance environment, and that's a big threat to us. So. And that is scary. It may be messaging. It may be just a popular thing. They, you know, Your friends like Cory Booker and Kirsten Gillibrand may really be, uh, you know, uh, as not like serious to, as when like they're, say, they're signing on, the joke, on to, to yeah. yeah they're in on the joke when they sign on to Bernie Sanders bill but this is a very dangerous uh, path uh, and a worrisome one particularly with the uh, the strong possibility of Democratic control of Congress that's absolutely right uh, and so final observation that I would make on healthcare generally is that we've had um, an environment where uh, for uh, increasingly over the last couple of years, you've got the PBMs, the drug companies, the hospitals, the plans, all the major stakeholders aiming at one another um, in terms of where is the cost curve going to be broken. And so I'm hopeful, uh, this, there's nothing formal to it, but I'm hopeful that we can put aside our differences with these uh, other sectors, at least with respect to these core issues as to where we going on single payer. And so uh, I would see in the next year or so, potentially some movement on that. As one of my friends with uh, one of the rival sectors said to us, uh, you know, even the United States collaborated with Joseph Stalin uh, to win the Second World War. So um, I'm hopeful that we'll get some traction. So, and in the short term, we do have the president speaking on drug prices next week. I don't know that we've seen a lot of preview of what that speech is going to be, but um, that's certainly a sector I know we're all watching. And I, I expect I it to be a lot of nothing. I don't know about a lot of nothing, but I don't think I don't, I'm not expecting to see a lot of pain that's going to be inflicted on the the drug companies in that. Yeah. Well, with that, we've now eaten all of our vegetables, and we can get on to dessert, um, which I know we're all looking forward to. It is an election year, uh, as we've kind of danced around earlier. Uh, are there any particular races you guys are keeping an eye on? My old boss is up in Ohio, so I'm I'm looking at Sherrod Brown real closely, but. Uh, what what do you guys look at? What are you guys watching that really impacts us for the fall? I'm watching Arizona, Florida, and Tennessee. And uh, to a lesser extent, Mississippi even. Uh, you've got uh, Senator Cochran's open seat, and you've got a Steve Bannon-backed right-wing extremist uh, who's in an open uh, environment, sort of a, you know, they'll have a runoff there. You've got former congressman, 
uh, Mike Espy, uh, moderate African American Democrat, a fellow I should note, but uh, <laughs> who's in the running, and uh, you've got a new Senator Cindy Hyde Smith, who I found I've met and found to be impressive. But that's, you know, that could be another Alabama type situation, and likewise, as Joel mentioned, Tennessee is a situation where. Um, you know, the most recent polls show former, even though Tennessee, my home state, has been trending red, red, red in the last decade, uh, former uh, moderate Democratic Governor Phil Bredesen is polling up uh, significantly over very conservative uh, Marsha Blackburn and uh, outspoken Trump supporters. So then the question is going to be, how about these 10 seats that are occupied by Democrats in states that Trump won, many of which by double digits? This is the challenge, right? So Democrats need two seats to win back the Senate. They would have to preserve, you know, they, got, they need to win all 24 seats that are up for re-election, 10 of which are in the Trump states. But if you go state by state, they're looking okay. I think West Virginia it depends on what happens in the Republican primary there, but we got a former governor, now Senator Joe Manchin, who's wildly popular. John, uh, John Tester in Montana, wildly popular, should be fine. North Heidi Dakota. Heitkamp in, Heidi North Heitkamp in North Dakota. I think, the, and again, I think that the, the, the threats are Claire McCaskill in Missouri. She's got a tough race there. Uh, but she's, but she, Joe Donnelly in Indiana. Uh, but those are both Bill very, Nelson very strong candidates. Florida is just going to be a ridiculous. Yeah, it's the sitting uh, governor versus a senator who's been there since 2000, I think. So Bill you Nelson have a wildly left. conservative governor who's very close with Trump, but also pretty, wow. pretty. <laughs> 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 he's, he's got, he will speak, he's, he's wildly wealthy. And he will spend as much money as it takes, I think. Uh, but, you know, he, any governor in a scenario where you had that kind of hurricane hit and come out with, he, he, was, he was set up to succeed, essentially. And I think that he's, he's got a good race. And now Bill Nelson, they got the gun issue down there. Florida could go either direction, but it's going to be, it's going to be close. And you mentioned Arizona as well. That's Kirsten Sinema, sitting congresswoman for Jeff Flake's open seat. I don't, I don't. Martha McSally is in a, in a three-way primary there. And uh, I'm a big I'm a huge Martha fan. Joel's a big Kirsten fan. Yeah, so. And I think we both actually both both like them very much. But, you know, these things, I, you know, it would be unusual if they sort of broke out state by state. As Charlie Cook always notes, you know, there tend to be waves. They don't tend, you know, if, um, you know, if Democrats retake control of the Senate, they may retake control of the Senate by a number of seats. Uh, if everything breaks their way, as everything broke their, their the way of Republicans in, in the Senate races in, in 2016, and so um, I, I like to think about the uh, was it the 2006 race when Democrats won back Congress, and that was that was a vote about the Iraq War and about George W. Bush. We had a lot of accidental members of Congress here that were here for here for a very short period of time. They voted for the ACA and they got voted out of office. As former, <laughs> we could see something. As like former that. RNC chair, former Mississippi Governor Haley Barber was asked when he was chairman of the party about the, all of the accidental congressmen that got washed in in 1994 uh he says you know ask if you know if they were all going to survive he says well in every rising tide there's always flotsam and jetsam <laughs> so i think we, we may have a little bit of that after this probably after right. this election well and we've we've covered the senate a lot i know blair probably had some house members she wanted to mention so i want to make sure she yeah I, I think pennsylvania the whole entire state since they had uh all of the the house members are going to be running in different seats and with not a lot of time to prepare in those districts. Um, they had a redistricting um, court decision. And so you already have seen one retirement because of that, Ryan Costello. Um, and so Connor Lamb, who won in a very Trump safe district, 
is now going to be running against um, in a new district against a sitting member, Keith Rothfuss. Who's a member of the Financial Services Committee who's, and has been a friend of us. Yeah. So it'll be, um, and then all the New York seats, really all of the moderate Republicans in the Northeast, um, I'll be watching because they, they always have a race. Um, and keep a big eye on Congressman Tom MacArthur. He was a leader on the ACA efforts last year. He was a commercial insurance executive, a major one, first at AIG, then at York Risk Management, a member of the Financial Services Committee. He's a guy who gets the commercial insurance brokerage industry in a very tough race in the uh, Jersey suburbs of Philadelphia. Right. And then uh, the open seats in Minnesota. There are quite a few. And then seeing if Jason Lewis can keep on to his. Um, so it's I, I tend to look at the, the moderate races. Um, just because those are the ones that that win majorities for either side. And, uh, you know, this is where I feel blessed that we do have, thanks to the generosity of many, many many people uh, in our organization, we have the largest political action committee in the insurance industry, and this is a year where we need to uh, continue to reward our friends and challenge those who have not been as uh, generous to us. Well, I'm going to let that be the last word because I think that's the perfect way to end. So thank you again for listening to CouncilCast. If you have any questions for us or any any comments on how we've done today or in any of our other episodes, you can find us at CIAB.com. We're on Twitter at, at the CIAB. Um, or this is new. You can email in any questions or comments to CouncilCast, one word, uh, CouncilCast at CIAB.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.